Hey everybody, welcome. I'm your host, Webster Mugavazi, and today we are speaking with Kremena, who is a yoga instructor at Your Yoga. I spoke to Kremena uh, quite a while after I went to one of her practices. Uh, it was very cool, very calming, and actually one of the first yoga lessons that I did in Amsterdam. Um, and I knew just after that that we had to have a conversation. So today we're going to be talking about wellness, um, staying mentally and physically balanced. Uh, we're talking about intention and what that can do to small aspects of your life. Um, so if you are able to, grab a nice cup of tea or coffee, whatever gets you going, uh, and a notebook because Cremena uh, shares a lot of great, amazing, actionable steps that you can follow to improve your state of well-being and balance in small ways. Enjoy. I was introduced to this really beautiful practice more than a decade ago and it transformed my life completely so any chance I get to speak about it to show it to really tell people how great that is is just a blessing for me so I'm trying to not go to spiritual with my teachings because I want to reach people that possibly never thought that yoga can change their life which was my case um, I'm originally Bulgarian, been in Holland for more than 15 years. And funnily enough, prior to me moving to the Netherlands, I've never tried yoga. I've always thought this is a quite a weird thing to do and it wasn't gaining any popularity with me before I moved here and I felt a bit detached, not quite welcome if I have to be very honest. And um, after my first yoga class, I, I thought I found my people, I found my calling, and it just felt so good that ever since I've been trying to share the little knowledge that I have on the subject with as many people as I can. So to sum it up, yeah, love yoga, teach yoga, and uh, if I share it with more people, it makes me extremely excited. That's actually how we met, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is how we met because uh, I came to one of your classes, which, by the way, was was and still is the only yoga class that I did in Amsterdam, uh, and it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, first of all, you're an amazing uh, yoga teacher, very calming, uh, very supportive, and I felt like I'd, I'd never done yoga before that anyway, uh, but I felt like uh, you made everybody feel welcome, even though clearly there were some people who were advanced and people who, you know, were just starting out. But you you, you, you put us all on an even uh, kind of playing field. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for being there. And to be honest, this is a big, a big part of being a yoga teacher is really to recognize that yoga is for everybody and more accessible we make it and the more we don't put any obstacles for people to join or to understand the deeper knowledge that's within it, um, the better it is. So, yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. Uh, when you first moved to Amsterdam, you felt like it, it really wasn't your thing. Can you tell us about uh, what your thoughts were about yoga beforehand and uh, what it was exactly that shifted your thinking? My first yoga class was like a... I say it was by chance, but nothing is by chance. We, we believe in the bigger universe conspiring and to provide us not what we think we need, but what we truly need and all those, um, you know, new age learnings that we are being exposed. So I moved to the Netherlands and before trying my first yoga class, I always thought that yoga is for people that either are mega flexible or with all honesty, I wasn't really exposed to proper yoga. It was mostly just a picture on on a magazine or things that are not quite related to yoga, but are portrayed as a yoga. So before you try something, it's kind of, you already have a idea or wrong perception of what it will be like. So I was thinking that everyone is super flexible, that this is something that only um, almost athletes can do. And in Bulgaria, where I'm from, it's kind of a little bit of um, ancient practices were not super allowed during the communist time. So it wasn't like there is a great experience to be gained in 50 years of this being really forbidden. So, so what I'm saying is that I only knew a few people back home that were doing that. And the concept around it was that it was super foreign. 
It was super inaccessible. It's literally something that it's for people that are not like me. So um, different. And the whole idea around yoga now that shifted completely for me is that actually yoga is for everyone. And to be quite frank, now with this pandemic, it's it's even more potent to be practicing and it's even more important to take care of yourself. And yoga is just one of those tools that we have under our belts that we can develop um, more consciousness, more relaxation, more if it's just a physical body that you want to work on. It's a great practice to even start with that. I initially started with just the physical and even that changed me completely after a couple of practices because you then start to see that more things are possible within your body and that translates into your mindset of like well if after five tries I managed to do let's say an advanced posture that makes you believe that you can do anything you can try and try and try so I would say that the attitude towards the yoga is also what what's super important um it, it trains us so well that if you take that off your mat, it's even more beneficial for anything else you try and you do in your life. So just to answer the question, it's basically before I moved here, I thought that yoga is just for people that are not like me. And when I moved here, I felt like I needed something to ground me, something to make me feel like I feel good in my body. Because to be honest, I didn't know that the winter depression exists as a term. It, I always thought that that's something that happens to other people. It's not something that you really need to struggle with. But when I moved to Holland, it was winter and I felt heavily not at ease in my body. Uh, so I had to kind of, my first yoga class was, let me see, it won't hurt. Um, if I'm not feeling that great in my body, this definitely will not heard so that's how i went and tried it so can you talk a little bit about grounding um and what it is about the practice that grounds you a little bit so the days that you feel even more unsettled or more in your head and things are not quite not just structured but like we are hectic in our minds we are hectic in our bodies because we don't attend to our needs first the physical needed the the mind space, we are not clearing out our mind space. In um, So we would say that you need to always um, restart your computer five times. I don't know how many times a, uh, a week you need to do that, but it's the same with us. We are such a beautiful tool. Uh, we do have our needs that have to be met. Otherwise, we start not functioning optimal. And grounding for me is really a simple tool as feeling this ruthness so that you can grow further, so that you can know exactly the solidity of your posture, the solidity of where you truly are. And a lot of space comes within when you feel that you're supported underneath you. And practices like sitting and meditating, it's not a big surprise and lots of research is being done that it opens up so many creative ways of approaching either problems or just Creating void between thoughts makes you more grounded and new projects can emerge, but without this anticipation of something to happen. So usually if I do my morning practice and I don't do it every day, I have to admit that there are days similar to yours that a 9 a.m. meeting requires you to prepare, not just with meditation, but actually being productive. And the times when you have to be even more productive is the time where you have to put double up on your practice if 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 I can express it this way so when you know you need to sit down and meditate is when you know that actually if you're busy you need to do 20 minutes meditation if you're not just do five and it will be fine um, but any any amount of meditation will be super beneficial to ground you early in the morning is my preferred um, timing but anytime you find that there is space between your next gig or something else that you need to be doing, just pausing for a moment so you can truly be present for the next task that comes along. And there is a lot of research being shown that 
cultivating presence with different practices, either being a small ritual or being something that, as I mentioned, meditation or a physical practice of Surya Namaskar, which is the most simple yet mega potent and powerful tool to start your physical body in the right way in the morning. So sun salutations are usually in Western society shown as part of these vinyasa flow classes, but they're on their own. They're very potent for waking up the whole body and your nervous system and making sure that you really function the best of your ability that day. So most often we think that these things are so easy, so they might not work and we neglect it. And the power of it is with really sticking to it five minutes every day, 20 minutes yeah. every day. And then, and, and then it, it all picks up. It's funny how uh, the simplest things tend to have uh, the best benefits in that sense, right? We are very skeptical humans. Like we, we would believe that an app can help us, that that a pill can help us, that uh, whatever we choose to to believe it will help us. But we don't believe that attending to our needs with slowing our minds by breathing deeply for five minutes will have a, a tremendous impact. And everyone is thinking of biohacking this and biohacking that, and is like. This knowledge of how our bodies and mind and soul, if you believe in that work, is yeah. ancient and it's been proven over so many centuries. We're only now kind of keep picking up the understanding that we're more than the physical, we're more than the mind, and we're more than the... We also need to attend to our spiritual practices. So, yeah, the more you do it, the better it is, really. We have been fooled into thinking uh, exter external sources can always be, you know, the solution to all our problems. We have, like you said, apps to, to help us de-stress and pills to get rid of illnesses and all these things that are supposed to make us faster, more productive uh, and just better people in general uh, tend to have the opposite effect. Um, checking my emails stresses me out but it helps me communicate with more people. Looking at my phone is the, in the morning, I've found is the worst thing I can do for my, for my productivity and for my creativity. Because you also get exposed to other people's work maybe. And then I, I have this rule with the first 15 minutes. Um, yeah, the phone is really mega addictive and we, we are struggling with it. And whoever is not has the superpowers, I think. But putting your phone away for 15 minutes in the beginning of your day so that you can sit and really make sure that whatever you'll be creating that day, it will come from within you and it's your thing. It's not an input from, I don't know, uh, someone else's work or something that either triggered you or made you respond to it. And I tend to, I tend to, to have this space, but it wasn't an easy one to to allocate because there is always like, oh, let me check just quickly this or let me check just quickly that. And you get hijacked. And when we wake up in the morning, we're, our mind is super open and it's, it's the best timing to actually be meditating and to really going from this state of you were asleep, you were resting, you're restoring to slowly, slowly entering your day with a clean slate. And, and, and this is where yoga can truly help because when you're in a posture that you haven't experienced or you haven't mastered yet, or even if you have mastered, there is always this moment of you really need to pay attention to your breathing, to the way you are positioning your feet, your hands. Like first, all, first and foremost, for most people, it's first the physical body because it's a good expression of where we truly are. And then your breath and then where your mind goes. Are you thinking I'll fall? Are you thinking I'll do this? And with time and practice, there is this void in between thoughts and you're like, then that's where you're doing yoga where the inhales and exhales just come and go and you happen to be a new version of yourself. And then you do something else and you're like a, not a version of yourself. With practice, hopefully you're not doing yoga, you're being yoga, you're, you're united in all of your aspects, like your mind, your body, if you believe in the spiritual one as well. And, and, and that's where the cultivated presence comes and people do relate to it a lot more. They might not name it, he was so present, but they will say that I want what he has, like 
he understood me on a pitch or when you have a client that tells you exactly what they need. You're not thinking about the next gig. You're not thinking about the previous one. You're really there with them and they might not understand what exactly happened. But when we gift people with our full attention and presence, they can sense that, wow, you were there. Um, and I think that with more practicing yoga, it just it just comes more natural. Once you train it on the mat, you can translate it in in all, all your interactions, really. Can you give us some practical uh, tips, let's say, for someone maybe who's had very little experience with the practice or has never done it at all? What small things can you do as an individual um, to be more present, to be more focused and intentional? If you set the intention throughout the day to be more present, it starts from the morning. Um, let's say you wake up whatever a.m. you choose to. If it's p.m., that's also fine. <laughs> but the whole idea is that any action feels like you're there because your breath is present. Um, a very fast meditation of five minutes of tuning in with your breath and just noticing what comes up for you that day, then preparing your beverage of choice or making sure that you're ready for your day, um, doing it not in a rush and making sure that I only have five minutes to you know, take a shower. Um, the funny thing is you gain more time when you're completely present. Um, switching off from topic to topic in our mind takes a lot of energy that we just don't understand. Um, multitasking actually is a myth. I think we all <laughs> we all suffer from thinking, I can also text and do this and drive and like whatever we choose to add and squeeze. But switching from one topic to another in our minds, it takes a lot of energy. So by being present on one thing only, let's say I'm washing the dishes, that's all I'm doing. I'm not thinking about, was the dinner good? Was it not? Like whatever you do, you do just that with all your being. And the way to practice is, is every time you notice you're not there, like physically doing this or doing that, go back to the breath. It immediately connects you to, Wait a moment, I'm here. Another practice will be feeling the ground underneath you, literally with your feet um, fully pressed. It gives this sensation of, oh, yes, I'm here. Um, and really paying attention to physical sensations because our bodies are really built to educate us and to give us information that we choose to ignore. But if we're tuning in with our bodies, we will always know both how we feel, what's truly going on, and are we going somewhere else in our minds? Um, are we hijacked and are we on autopilot? Um, in the past, when I was commuting, I would just do small exercise of staring at people's eyes, not awkwardly, not like to freak them out, but just to say like, hey, I'm acknowledging you, you're acknowledging me, how cool is that? Just so that I can, A, not be on my phone and B, being present of saying like, wow, this is an encounter with another human being that will never happen again. So it's kind of this idea of like, wow, now this was a moment and that was a moment. And, and that's how you build it up really with everything you do. You're conscious of your breath, you're conscious that your physical body is there. And often we, we tense our bodies when it feels like it's uncomfortable and just remind yourself that, yeah, relax all your muscles and just be, be there for whatever comes. Breathing, um, grounding your feet firmly on the ground, uh, focusing on the thing that you're doing without thinking about other things. Um, and the most important one for me was to avoid multitasking. Uh, the idea of, you know, attention residue, how going from one task and doing another task doesn't make you more productive. You actually get half as productive in both tasks. And you're using, you're using so much unnecessary energy that is, is can, you get to dictate what your calendar will look like. And then you can just squeeze in as much as you want in one day. And then being like continuously feeling like you're behind because we all have the same for 24 hours, but 
if you choose wisely what gives you energy and what robs you from it, you just try to place the things that give you more energy um, throughout the day in a periods of time that you know, oh, I need to refresh myself, I'll do X, Y, and Z, and be there for just that. When I'm doing creative work, one thing that's worked for me is uh, batching everything into specific types of tasks and putting them together. Uh, so now, I didn't do this before, but now when I plan my calendar, let's say on a Sunday, uh, all the editing happens on one day or two days next to each other. I don't split things up like I used to, going from an edit uh, to writing uh, to going out on a shoot. And then your, 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 your mind and your week is a mess. Um, so that's one thing that I found super helpful as well. I always say to my students, do it like it's the last time you do it. So it's it's going to be whatever you choose to do. Like Let's say you, you, you're doing a cup of tea. It's your last cup of tea. Would you do it differently if you know this is the last time you have it? And how much more attention you pay to it? And this is not to sound mega, wow, something happened. No, this is about... Because it won't repeat in the same time, in the same place, in the same exact circumstances. We truly, it's a gift each and every moment. And if we attune our bodies to treat it as what it is, a gift, it it has so much power over us. And I think also it taps into gratitude. It taps into so many other spiritual practices that are proven to be so powerful. And if you find a space to to make a habit out of it, your life transforms. And it's quite powerful because when you said that, I thought, oh, wow, if this was truly my last cup of tea, what am I thinking about? I would definitely make sure that the water is at the perfect temperature. Exactly. I would get my favorite mug. I would get my favorite tea. And I would be focused wholeheartedly on this act. I wouldn't be thinking about the next thing. And in that way, I can enjoy it more. I can appreciate it more which I guess bleeds into other aspects of my day as well. I've done something for me um, and I appreciated it. And then I can move on to the next thing when it's done and finished. There's no residue left behind. Um, so yeah, that's, that's actually a really good one. I think I'm going to implement that. Although it might start with a coffee. It's mostly the attitude towards it. Right. Because like if it's your last edit you do, mm-hmm. it's like how much more present you'll be to just like, oh, let me get get it done with. Yeah. Um, of course, you need to pay attention, but would energetically something change in you while you do it? It's And I'm more fascinated on the benefits from yoga on our whole psychic and energetic. And it's like, yeah, it's just it's just brings so much more depth to us and makes it really extraordinary life. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, it's a task after task. And, and we... We skip the magic because we 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 are too busy to see it, and it's constantly there, kind of. I don't know uh, if this is what your work is, but I'm assuming you're forced to multitask and handle lots and lots of information and interruptions and all these things that come with uh, a busy day of work. How do you how do you balance the two? Yeah, and a great question. I mean, this is this is a, it's called practice for a reason, right? We all have to get to practice it. And sometimes I'll be challenged in a days that, what you mentioned, million appointments, everyone seek your attention, everyone, can I pick your mind? Can you pick your brain? And it's like, you need to cultivate this awareness of what you spend your attention to. And often I will have only five seconds to take a decision and with continuously stimulating yes or no, or guiding my team. So during the day, as hectic as it can become, there is always a time to decompress in the evening. Either I'll go and teach a class where it brings me back to this presence, or I'll do take a as participant some, let's say I go to Yoga Nidra, or I make sure that there is something that I can squeeze in the, the, the end of my day so that I can make sure that next day I'm ready to face whatever challenges we'll, we'll get, but it is called practice for a reason. Um, I would say that at work is so beautiful to see that you get the chance to respond and not to react. And this to me is where I'm understanding that in turbulent times or in difficult conversations or all of that that happens with a, with a job, quite frankly, is 
wow, my practice helps tremendously because it's very easy to choose to react rather than respond with integrity, with, with, with still being genuine with your values, not being hurtful to people, especially nowadays when you don't even see people physically. You don't have any idea what they've been doing prior to the meeting that you've asked them to all attend. And it's the most important thing that needs to happen. Maybe they have other things going on in their life that you're not quite attuned. So creating space to be more empathetic throughout the day so that it's not just, you know, these are the tasks and we have to deliver that and blah, blah, like you do like it because I say so. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of practice to be empathetic constantly, but I think that yoga gives you that depth to actually make it such a sweet switch. Um, I don't see it anymore as like in the corporate world, I'm like this completely different person. Then I step on the mat and I'm like this mega zen uh, person. In the beginning, I will have a yoga voice. And now I'm using my yoga voice for in the corporate world. It's like, yeah, I might be not very assertive. Or in the beginning, I thought I need to be just like the guys in the boardroom and be super assertive and all those things that this is also a a really wrong story that I've been telling myself for a long time. The power that I'm bringing is that I can express a idea without shouting at people or without making it sound like continuously showing that I know what I'm doing in a different way. And people tend to respond nicer when you explain to them the reasoning behind your decisions. Can you talk about how important the space you practice is for the actual practice? I, When I started practicing my yoga, it was very much I would teach anywhere I can get my hands on. I would not even care if it was a, a yoga studio or a gym or super busy. It's just whatever type of space I could get my hands on to roll my mat, I would go ahead and do it. And now I'm so much more attuned to it. Oh, if the space is really bright, if the space is really um, soft, what type of floor, all those things are important. But what's most important is really what state of mind it brings to you so that you can completely surrender to your practice. I tend to enjoy more cozy, dark places to do yoga rather than light and bright, to be honest. I mean, depending on the, the timings of the year. I tend to go to actually sunny places to to make yoga retreats because it's kind of a way to recharge myself and recharge all the other students with new concepts of stay in nature, make sure that make sure that your food is right so that your practice can even benefit further. What we do here in yoga classes is you see your students for a very fragmented time of of their day. You have no idea what else is going on in their life. When you bring them with you for a week away, you get to dictate what at least the menu will be and what the activities that we can engage in. So it gives them much bigger space to find what truly is going on within them. And usually those are very transformative experiences. Most people, just the other day, we were with some folks that we Four of us were on the same retreat. I was leading that with another friend. And we still think about that four-year-ago retreat as a catalyst for many things to change in all of our lives. And we speak about it as a, it really all started with this trip. And it is true because you're ready to, to kind of do something different. So when you take people from the context of their lives and you put them in another beautiful environment where they can just really contemplate on what's their next move or what do they should should they even move or just time for themselves it is just beautiful because they already know all the answers it's just this kind of retreats are i use the word like a rehab for the soul you go there you replenish yourself you come back and you're so much more attuned to what's going on and you're like clear in your paths forward because you've attended to your needs and you've been nourished in a deeper level, not just with food, not just with activities, but also I tend to not put too many things to do in one day for the same reason that 
I don't want anyone to start thinking, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Um, there is actively even a space in the calendar of or the agenda of the retreat is like active free time, which means, yes, you're free, but then there is also we're resting like we mean yes. it. You're like mm -hmm. literally doing nothing, reading nothing, not being exposed to any in external inputs. You're just staying with yourself and you don't have to meditate in that um, resting mode, but you definitely are encouraged not to even listen to podcasts, something like what we are recording now, but do not get in inputs from outside. Just, just, just be with yourself. Um, and that's powerful. And that's proven to be one of the things that people really enjoy the most. Silent days is what I also include. And people really appreciate it because it's not often what they give themselves in their normal circumstances or life that they've created for themselves. A lot of us were forced to, to, to be stuck in silence during the pandemic. Um, some people who live alone were forced to, you know, stay home. And you don't have the same day-to-day -day interactions uh, that disrupt your flow of thinking on a constant basis, you know, when we're living a normal life. Um, can you talk about how we can curate a space um, that is uh, beneficial for your mind, your soul, and, and your peace in general coming out of the pandemic? Honestly, the best thing that everyone can do is declutter, like your physical spaces. Um, we, what it turns out is that we really don't need much. So uh, if anything you haven't used the last six months, most probably you don't need it. You can donate it. You can you can you can offer it to someone else. You can just declutter so much so that everywhere is clean and it's also everything is in order. I mean, I always give this example of put your books in a covers. Um, it does help, but it just sends signals to your mind that everything is in harmony, and it's not like you have too many stimuluses that. Now this distracts you. Now that distracts you. So more space, more, I like smells and I'm using a lot of sages or essences and things like that, but they just happen to be working for me. And if, if there is anything else that you have is a, a powerful reminder from where you at, most of us are expats in Amsterdam and I don't think we realize how much that affects us till we get the chance to go back home and recharge, but maybe a small place where you can honor your roots and honor the, literally where you come from. I, I do have a little altar. I'm not gonna say everyone should have one, but what I'm saying is that the way you design also how you wanna, depending on you, you, you sleep here and then the first couple of things you see in the morning are super important. So if you put something beautiful that you always want to check on, could be a picture of yourself as a kid. That always makes me giggle at least. So it's like, oh, or something just that reminds you of good times or that makes you really connected to who you are. And, and, and then a practice room doesn't need to be that big. It can be just a sunny place or just facing a window so that you can actually see the sun or imagine yeah. it's there <laughs> and do your practice. I like the idea of having visual triggers uh, uh, when you wake up in the morning. That has to be quite beneficial for your, for your mental state, you know, waking up, seeing something that reminds you of good times or where you come from or the ones that you love. Um, that, that has to be super powerful for your mental state, right? Yeah, because it does make you feel like you're belonging and, and you're not alone and you're not in a isolation with this whole thing. Um, to me, it works also to connect with crystals if anyone's, anyone is into that. I mean, don't get excessive with it because I do have only five of them, but they happen to be working for me. I love candles, for instance. Every night I put the candles on, I'm saying, okay, this is me taking care of me. Um, it's not about how the house looks like with the candles. It's about that I'm taking time to say that I do want to relax and I do want to make an effort for it. And 
me lighting the candles is one of my ways to do it. But many people can find a different way to express that. I wanted to ask if you could talk about some of the thing, things that creative people can do with regards to yoga to improve their work. Yeah, and I, I wanted to say that we, we are all creatives. <laughs> we are just forgotten how... We haven't, we haven't been exploring these parts of us that things emerge from the, the, the desire to put something out there. And it's quite a vulnerable process to really craft something that people can either see, touch, listen to, and it has the power to move other folks as well. So those practices matter because you're kind of putting part of you in whatever you're creating. And the more of you you can accumulate or cultivate, the better your work will become. It just cannot be the other way around. It, sh- it, it will make no sense to, to be depleted without energy and trying harder and harder to do something. Actually, more rest. I know it sounds counterintuitive. Everyone kind of thinks that we need to do 10,000 hours. I don't even know how many hours they say that before you become a master. Yes, you can do that. But actually the mastery takes shape when you incorporate everything within you. You have time to process all your emotions. You have time to process all that is going on around you and surround you. And then from that space, putting things out out there. Um, Resting, as, as, as counterintuitive it sounds, is is a big deal, not just for creative people, but for all of us, because creating that space for not just your physical body, but also your mind, also your ideas to really flourish um, is crucial. So any pocket of time you have in your calendar to rest, just literally lay on the floor five minutes, hand on heart, hand on belly, observe your breath, without any expectation, maybe 1500 times, nothing will come up. And on the next one, it, you're like greatest idea will come. And why? Because it's always been there. We just, we're just not hearing it. We're just not getting that calling to, to go ahead and, 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 and produce it or make it or, or whatever the craft is that you are after. So resting is number one, and 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 honestly, just just be mindful what you what you feed yourself with, like not just food, but like what type of information. Who comparison with others is the worst that I would say for creative people we can do. Um, and just attend to your own needs and create something that you would like to have, or it's just. I always do the things, if we compare that yoga is an art as well, or a craft is like in the mornings before my class, I always say like, would I enjoy doing this practice? And if the answer is yes, that's what I go and do. Most, most likely people will resonate with it as well, because I'm not questioning if they will enjoy it. I'm only answering the question, would I enjoy it? Because it comes... I'm a vessel of it, right? It's not yoga. Is, it doesn't come from me. Um, it just comes through me. So the more I'm there, the easier it is. That's an important distinction because I think uh, when we are being creative and when we are fostering creativity, we believe that it's coming from us because we experience it inside our hearts, inside our heads. And then we put something else and we get feedback and it feels amazing. So we're like, wow, this came from me. I did this. So the art or the practice or whatever whatever you're putting out into the world feels like it's a part of you. Um, but that's, that's really interesting that you said that it comes through us. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? It's a momentary that we're in these bodies of ours and this like, highly functional, very sophisticated machines, really. And um, what a beauty that we can create things. And those ideas maybe are, I, I feel like the ideas and the creativity is all around us and just folks that are attuned to themselves can just grab any idea and make it happen. And most of the ideas, I think they only come to us because we actually know we can do it. 
And the more scary a project or idea or a concept comes to us, the more you should go ahead and pursue it. <laughs> not on all costs, not on all the things, but let's say you're, you're having an amazing idea for a movie and you're like, I have to do it. If it doesn't allow you to sleep at night, that to me always is a sign. I, I have to put it out there in the world. This idea chose me in this specific time to keep coming back, keep coming back. So I have to birth it. I have to, let's say for me lately, it's been this concept of, I want to invite people to completely rest for three hours to literally lay on a mat and do nothing. And it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. And I will make it happen because I know it's something that resonates with me deeply. And it's something that, wow, how beautiful it is that this idea wants to come through me because Many other folks will be doing similar stuff, but they don't have the same uniqueness that I'll bring to it. And regardless how the idea came to you and what your motivation behind it, the outcome of it will teach you something. So let's let's say if 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 I if I had this like I have to do this because my ego egocentric idea of I should be doing this because for the wrong reasons or any reason, you learn so much from from what you get out of it. They say you either win or you learn, right? There's no losses. Everything you do will give something back to you in some way or other. I wanted to talk about flow, uh, not, not, not in the sense of like a yoga flow, but uh, in the sense of like creative flow, that feeling when you're just in the zone. Can you talk about uh, how mind and body uh, come and play into that? Yeah, and we can continuously be in that uh, state of flow when we are not distracted, as you said, we get to dictate how, to a certain extent, we some days will be better than others. But overall, if we set ourselves for success, we will already know I work better, let's say, in the mornings. I will wake up earlier. And there you can craft that for yourself to have the optimal atmosphere to cultivate that flow. Um, what easy thing I can say is for everyone is different, but if you know yourself well enough, you would establish if I do my work from three to four, from five to seven, we all have a different type of um, uh, schedules that allow us to do that. And being in the right physical body, it will be just not having any stagnation. Just just move your body beforehand so that when you sit, things can easily, as what you were speaking of, pouring um, our bodies can be a major distraction, mainly because we forgot how to use them in the appropriate manner. Most of our work is through head or contemplating. So a lot of the time we're using our heads, but the body is equally important to maintain giving you this flow of energy so that you can continue maintaining and not exhaust yourself and then it's like oh i should have finished that because i was so much in the flow but then your body wasn't so resting 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 beforehand or just just making a habit of resting enough so that when you have these glimpses of wow now i'm in the flow you can sustain it for as long as you wish but not exhausting yourself and being compassionate to yourself to say like oh, this was it, and having faith that flow doesn't occur just once or you can replicate it as many times so that there is not this fear or lack of, oh, I'll never have a day, a good day like that, that I managed to finish 15 chapters of my book. Um, no, you need to cultivate trust that maybe next weekend it will be the same. Have you have any, what's the word I'm going for, examples where, it just disappears when it usually disappears is because we are not attuned to what's going on with us. And again, by simply movement, paying attention to what we eat, making sure that we don't have the distractions and then going, we don't, we don't need to go and do the work. We get to do the work, which is a different energy we're bringing to it is like, how great is that? I'm going to write my book. How great is it that I'm going to, finish this proposal how great is it that you know i'm about to make magic and that no one has done before because it's 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 coming through you again not yeah i think you can cultivate the flow we we 
we like this magic and we like this idea, only talented people and uh, won't know it's accessible to everyone when obviously some folks might might decide, well, I'll never be the next Elizabeth Gilbert or <laughs> something like that. But for her was a choice that she'll write. And all of us can make a choice that I'll be dedicating my time to master this craft of mine. If it's so important to you, you, you you find the time to really make it. For me, it was with yoga. It's not negotiable. I show up. I do show up for my classes because I made a commitment that that's what I'll do. I had a conversation with my friend uh, this week because uh, we're, we're, we're trying to do HIIT workouts every single morning. Uh, and when one of us doesn't turn up, it's like, hey, man, it's the art of turning up. Just turn up and then you will do the exercise. But if you don't even allow yourself uh, the benefit of getting out of bed and even just standing outside and like with your hands in your pockets, you've done something, you know, you got out of bed. Um, can you talk about turning up? Because it's easy to to start something, but a lot of us fall off the wagon after two, three weeks. If I'm trying to implement uh, breathing in the morning or meditating before bed or reading, whatever it is, um, what are some of the tricks or processes we can implement in our lives to to, to cultivate that? I, I find it that if it's important and non-negotiable, you 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 just go ahead and 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 do that. The the trick and the pitfall I find is that because we are in an environment now that instantly we want results, instantly this will need to transform into that, and we're not cultivating any patience for the work to really kick in or whatever you choose to say. Let's say I'm gonna read. I loved your example about reading before sleeping or or anytime really. Usually happens easier for me if I have an already established habit and then I add another habit next to it. Let's say if I'm heavily addicted to my coffee, if next to my coffee I say I'll read three pages while I'm drinking my coffee, it's easy to kind of to sneak in something like that rather than, oh, let me start again. Um, that's a kind of a hack slash it just becomes easier or if I want to say I'm gonna again with the books sometimes I will listen to a book when I go to the grocery store and this is again this productivity and la 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 which you get to choose if this is so important to you that you can find the time or you would actually interact with people when you're in the grocery store or cultivating that presence but um, I would say the power of showing up is that 50% of the work, if not more, is done. You, you're already there, as you mentioned. You might as well do the workout. But compassion and being realistic, I think most of us fail because we think that all changes have to become so magnificent and so big. And actually, the magic happens with small shifts of changing habits. Let's say if you go not every day, but maybe three times a week, it's most likely that you keep going all three times. I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm saying that starting small usually has been neglected, but but it's easier to build on top of it rather than I'll do it every day and then you just stop doing it altogether. Um, I guess if you set a goal that's too monstrous and too big, it becomes difficult because you're aiming at something that's so far away. Whereas, you know, uh, one page in the morning, so easy. You could definitely do that for a week. Anyone can do that. Or, uh, you know, I'll do five, five push-ups instead of the 20. And then you can slowly, slowly, slowly build on top of that. That's the power of compounding, right? It gets better uh, and you get more from it as you go. Um, can you tell me about some of your non-negotiables uh, for a peaceful morning? Yeah, no phone. I think we mentioned it, but minimum, minimum, after meditation, even the first 15 minutes, I don't want to see anyone else's either email, text, or anything like that. Um, the morning, I try to be as quiet as I can be um, so that I, I really understand what energy I'm bringing into the day. I often will have one word. If it's not for the same, if it's not different word every day, it's going to be maybe 
this week I'm working on openness. Let's just say one. And then I would contemplate a little bit on how would I practice that this day? Is it in an open conversation? Is it that I'll do this or that? Or is it just by really having this, the energy of being open? Um, I would use words like that just to to remind me during the day if I'm kind of shifting to a mindset that is has nothing to do with openness, which quite frankly can happen. And then I'll just be placing a hand on my heart and just remind myself that it's all good and it's all okay and practicing a bit of a compassion. Um, the morning goes past though. Before you know it, it's like this really go, go, go calls and, 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 and emails and attention being spread here, there, everywhere. Um, but if you have a, a grounding routine of like, oh, reminding yourself, what did I say this day will be all about? And you go back to it and it's really, it's easier to pass through the day. And then in the end, you just decide on, oh, not being harsh on yourself. If, if you actually didn't do anything that was relating to openness, then you get to choose another word next time and you go ahead and do that. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's been wonderful. We got to talk about lots of things. We talked about creativity. We talked about focus. We talked about rituals. So for people listening, where can they find uh, you? Where can they find uh, your website, your social media, um, uh, and all that good stuff? So my website is yoryoga.au. I'm under the same name on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm mostly active on Instagram, if I have to be honest. Um, and I'm teaching in Amsterdam in a couple of locations. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to be hosting a couple of retreats as well that are all posted on the website. So if anyone got triggered by curiosity to try what this yoga is all about, feel free to reach out and um, just ask more questions. Curiosity is good. And you never know how you'll get introduced to a practice that will mean a lot to you later on. So um, my invite for everyone is really to find what works for them and 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 stick to it and, and, and really show up for themselves each and every time they choose to do it. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you for tuning in. That was the end of the episode. Thank you so much. And as always, if you enjoyed listening to this, please share it with your friends and family or leave a nice review on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it. And I would love if more people could hear these conversations. Thank you very much. Goodbye.